Welcome to the FemiPod. These are conversations about females for everyone to listen to, learn from and engage with. Brought to you by your Femi founders, Esther Kewen and myself, Lydia Fidel. Welcome back to the FemiPod. This is episode number 47. This week, we have an absolute legend on the podcast. Izzy Batdoyle is one of Australia's leading female runners representing Australia at the Tokyo Olympics. Izzy also ran at the recent Commonwealth Games, placing an incredible eighth in both the 5,000 metre and 10,000 metres. Izzy is not only an extremely talented athlete, she also coaches and heads up an incredible run community in her hometown, Adelaide, called Runners One, and recently opened what looks to be a running cafe, The Run House. We are so excited to chat to you, Izzy, today about your running career so far, but also learn how you continually give back to others in the community. Firstly, welcome to the Femi Pod and congratulations on the recent silver at the Nike Melbourne Marathon. Thank you so much. I'm so honoured to be on. Awesome. And how are you and how are you feeling off the back of the marathon? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. I think it's taken a couple of days just for the performance to set in and just be like starting to feel really proud of myself for the run. Um, Body was pretty sore for a couple of days, but it's actually responded pretty well just from a couple of days of uh, rest and easy jogging and I'm feeling, feeling all right. Yeah, you ran so well and so strong. It was amazing to see you come across that finish line. So incredible. How did you find the marathon? Like you're obviously used to running those shorter distances, like the 5K and 10K on track. Are you a marathon convert now? I think I am. (laughs) Um, I think I've still got like a lot of love for the track and definitely want to run some fast times on the track still. But I always knew that I would like the longer distances I just love running um you know I always want to do more run longer run further so the marathon was something that was calling me for quite a long time and I was really excited to have the opportunity although I was quite nervous just feeling like I was a little bit underprepared for it but I just trusted that um everything I'd done the last two years um was going to kind of help me get through for a strong performance but yeah I just loved it I really enjoyed the whole aspect of the marathon and I definitely think you'll be seeing more more marathons in my career did your training change much from like racing the five and the 10k when you're building up to the marathon or was it all relatively the same well it was interesting because um, we kind of discussed doing a marathon this year and that's why I headed over to Japan earlier in the year to pace the Nagoya women's marathon um, and get a taste for it to run 30ks in the marathon and that was an incredible experience I'm really glad I had that under my belt Um, But then the track season got underway and I was dealing with a hamstring injury and I was just kind of like trying to get through. And when I made it to Com Games, that was just kind of like so exciting. I was so happy to be there, but I felt pretty tired after that. And I actually got COVID um, at Com Games. So it made it a little bit rough when I came home and the question of doing Melbourne Marathon was there. I kind of put it off for a week or two. I wasn't really running all that much um, after COVID. And then I just kind of committed to it probably less than six weeks out. Um, So I didn't have that much time to really alter my training. When I started off with a 50K week coming off COVID, so it wasn't the best start. But um, in saying that, I probably have had, you know, two years running on average 140Ks a week. Um, So that's a really strong base. And, you know, I've done plenty of two-hour long runs. So it was just a matter of really, like, topping that up. But I think what was kind of good about my build was I didn't actually have a chance to really get tired and kind of cook myself. Um, I only had really four and a half, five weeks to work with so until I had to taper. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I bumped up my long run. Usually I'd run 
an hour 45 to two hours training for the track for the 10 and five um, I got up to two and a half hours and my week maximum I got up to was 180 it was just one of those weeks um, but I had done a few 170s in the past even just training for the 10k um, and training for my half marathon at Melbourne last year so it wasn't a huge difference it's just the longer long run and yeah a longer Friday session pretty much yeah I think it's crazy because I think a lot of people think they have to have this massive build and like if you are new to the marathon the longer the build probably the better but for those runners who run like consistently you don't need like that big 16 week build into the marathon but I would say five weeks is probably the minimum <laughs> yeah although although my partner Riley um once I'd committed he was kind of like yeah, I might, I might do it. He's still coming off a niggle, an injury, a knee injury from last year's World Marathon. So he literally probably did three weeks of build. He did two, since last year, he's done two runs over 24Ks. So yeah, and he ran a PB, he ran 216, yeah, 57, came fourth. <laughs> so I kind of talk about my build being pretty short, but then it, um, in comparison, Riley's is even shorter. So I don't know, I think it does show that, yeah, look, a long build, for someone who's new to the to, to running, you do need the Ks and the legs. But for an athlete that's been running consistently, you know, week in and week out, um, been healthy for a while and putting in Ks, I, I feel like you can make that jump up um, without too much of the concern in your training. Wow. Yeah, you've inspired me. I, I told Liz I want to run a marathon now. Yeah, so. <laughs> you should. I also I wanted to ask you, like, what you, what you think about the two different types of races. So, like, the road running and having all the people around the big atmosphere versus like a track event where it's so individual and a, a lot more exposed. Like how do you find the two compared? Yeah, it's interesting because um, I'm someone that comes just from like a love of running and I actually um, openly struggle with being competitive sometimes. So I just, I love to run and, um, you know, I hate tapering sometimes because I want to keep running and, and races come sometimes for like a bit of an inconvenience, which is not what you want to do when that's kind of like, you know, your, your job. But I really love the marathon because I feel like it's you versus you or like you versus the distance versus like kind of comparing yourself or trying to compete against someone else. And while that's, you know, there's, there's times when I get competitive in the last two Ks of this race, I got competitive trying to clip off second place and, and finish higher up. And that's just, you know, in our nature to do. But I do just like um, kind of the vibe of the marathon and road running. Um, it's more of a kind of community atmosphere. I love running in a mass participation event where you can run with like, you know, people from your run group or anyone just getting out there and running. Also being able to run with guys is pretty fun too. Um, that was really helpful for me having my pacemaker and training partner Bryn run with me um, every step of the way. So it's, it's very different to track. I feel like it is more enjoyable, I have to say. Um, but track's got, you know, so many great things about it too. And I, I do enjoy it when it's going well, but I think that, I don't know, no matter what's happening out there on the roads, you can have a lot of fun. It's so interesting what you say about like, not being drawn to being competitive all the time and yeah. I I feel like that sometimes too because I do also just like love running and I actually think it's probably affected my performance in the past because I haven't cared so much about winning or losing I just wanted to run do you feel yeah. like it's affected the way that you've performed in the past as well yeah I think so and I think that while I would say I'm a pretty consistent performer when I do race and that's one thing I kind of like pride myself on is like no matter whether it's like Box Hill, um, Commonwealth Games, like I'm just going to run kind of like what my best is. Um, I don't have like massive fluctuations, I guess, in like my times normally, but it can be challenging because like I, I will just, you know, front run a race, um, you know, and not really care, not really care if it means I come fourth. Um, uh, but then, you know, in hindsight, 
I did that at national champs this year and it kind of it meant I lost a spot at world champs essentially whereas if I'd played that race tactically and not kind of like front run some of those girls might might not have got that qualifying time so in the rankings I would have just made anyway so it's kind of interesting how yeah you kind of look back and think oh you know maybe if I had like looked at that in like a competitive way it would have um, turned out to be a different performance outcome but I always walk away from the track knowing that like I've given my best on that day and I prefer to feel that way and to see for people to watch me run and be like, yes, she laid it all out there versus kind of like just like playing games um, in racing. And like, yeah, I just, I hate walking away from a track race and being like, oh my God, we just jumped around and like kicked down or whatever. Cause I feel like it just like, it isn't actually like, um, yeah, we didn't, we didn't lay it all out there and, and race. So yeah, I, I'm happy to walk away just knowing I've given it my all. I love that. Steve Prefontaine vibes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thinking of Stewie McSween and how he does it. Yeah. And then Elliot Kipchoge saying, he's Oh, like, yeah. Oh, I mean, that's the yeah. ultimate. <laughs> um, that's awesome. And, and how are you finding the marathon recovery and, and how important is recovery to you after such a long distance? Yeah, recovery is so important. I do think that, like, you know, training is one thing, um, but actually how you recover from your training and your racing is um, so important. For me, it's just kind of more actually like mentally recovering. I feel like um, I've just had such a big season that I'm trying to make sure I really like mentally recover. Like, yeah, even like the first couple of days back after the, after the race, I was thinking, oh, should I jump on the elliptical? Should I go for another run? And I'm like, no, easy. Like you've got to like chill out. But I just love the train, as I said. Yeah, so it's just more about spending time with like people I love and just like switching off a little bit more mentally. Luckily, as I said, my body's recovered pretty well. Um, but yeah, lots of good food plenty of sleep um they're things that i'm definitely focusing on getting like massage that kind of thing just making sure everything is uh yeah feeling good yeah it's, it's hard coming off the marathon because you're so used to training and it being like part of your day-to-day and it's so hard to like kind of like put that on the back burner for a while but it's so important to recover and and take that time for yourself not like you said not just from the race but from all the training as well like it's so yeah off. it just yeah can be a struggle to do that yeah, I think I'm lucky in, this, in the fact that, like, we're so busy with, like, um, Runners One and, like, the shop and the coffee shop um, that, like, it's kind of been easy to switch off for my training because I just am throwing myself into, like, a whole other realm of stuff that's kind of been, like, on my back burner for a little while while I just kind of focused on the last couple of weeks before the race. So, yeah, plenty of stuff to do to keep myself occupied. <laughs> Yeah, you definitely look, look very busy. We'll talk more, <laughs> more about that soon. But before so, can you take us back right to when you were a young girl and tell us your running story? Like, how did you get into running? And did you grow up imagining that you would run and race for Australia? Well, yeah. So I started to run when I was about eight or nine years old. And I think the first memories I have, are, uh, my sister was three years older than me and she was kind of getting into running and my stepdad and my mum took me for like a run around the block because my sister was going for a run with my mum. But I think I only made it like, you know, 400 metres maybe <laughs> uh, with a walk run. And then I found my way to the athletics um, as my older sister um, went out there and I just kind of followed her out there. And I was not a star to begin with at all. I did all the events. I really just kind of was a participation runner out there doing, you know, high jump, long jump, everything you could do at athletics. But I guess I had some natural talent because I did make my first state team when I was 10 um, for cross country. And then every year after I ran for South Australia um, at the cross country championships. But what I think is interesting is that if I look back at the results of those races, um, I was always kind of like at best middle of the field, if not like second half of the field towards the back. And I definitely looked at those trips as like, you know, you got an opportunity to travel to a new place, meet new friends, 
gave me tracksuit, like go shopping a DFO with mum. Like it, it was definitely not like there to like race or compete. Like I loved running, but yeah, I was not training particularly hard. I was probably running three or four times a week. And I often used to go to training with my friend and we would like get dropped off by our parents, say goodbye, and then would actually just like run across to the like tuck shop across the road and get raspberry clouds and hot chips and just sit there and hang out and then get picked up after training so we were pretty lazy back in the day but I think that that kind of um, that mindset really has helped me be like a long-term um, athlete in the sport because I wasn't burnt out super early so yeah I just kind of naturally progressed across athletics and uh, eventually became good enough that I was coming you know third at nationals in a, under 18s under 17s whatever it is and kind of got on the radar for going to America in college. And um, that kind of like really elevated my running career to the next level because I was probably would have been someone that gave it up once I went to uni um, or just kind of ran socially. But having the opportunity to go to America on a scholarship really propelled my running career. And that was kind of the next step for me. Awesome. And where did you go in America? Uh, I actually started out um, at a school in New York called St. John's University. And I chose that school because... Um, I'd been to New York before and I thought if running doesn't work out, at least I'm in a really cool place where I will love to live and there are heaps of other things to do. Um, and it was a pretty good academic school too and I was pretty academically focused. So actually going to America was a bit of a challenge because I'd worked so hard to get my like um, year 12 ATAR score, um, you know, as high as it could be and get into all of the degrees that I wanted to open doors to. And I kind of let that go to go and like chase my running dreams um, because the American system is a little bit slower in terms of like getting your degree done it's a little bit, bit, bit more fluff in the classes <laughs> in the <laughs> undergraduate degree there we're pretty more like narrow and um, straight narrow here in Australia but yeah so I was there for a year and a half and I actually ended up as soon as I got there I was actually the best on the team and um, wasn't as challenged as I was kind of hoping to be so I made the really difficult decision um, a year and a half in I'd made so many good friends and I really loved living in New York um, but I decided to transfer to the University of Washington across the country where I was going to have much more of a challenge I went from being best on the team to being eighth best on the team and like fighting for a spot on the top seven to go to um, cross country, like nationals and, and regionals. So it was a massive change, but that in itself just made me a, a much better athlete. And I, I really had to work for those improvements. Yeah. Wow. It's a good decision that you did there then, I think. Yeah, it was. That came with a lot of challenges too, though. Like I love my time there, but I also had um, seven stress fractures in my feet in the course of two years while I was at Washington and um, you know we had a we had a coach step down or be fired for um, I guess uh, like pretty much an eating disorder culture and and like not great stuff going on there so there are a lot of challenges but um, I would not change kind of my journey through that stage and I'd kind of tell anyone who's younger if you've got the opportunity to go to America and, and have an experience like that I would take it unless you're really like you know know what you want to do uni-wise and it can only be done in Australia you know, some courses are a bit more challenging to do overseas, but yeah, it was a great experience. The NCAA system is just like such a high pressured environment for athletes to be in. And I went over to the States when I was 17 to a university in Texas and I lasted six weeks and I just yeah. felt like, I think coming from New Zealand, the culture was so different over there, but also just the pressure put upon us by our coaches was just crazy. So and like, I can't imagine being under a coach, someone like you had, because my coach was, she was putting a lot of pressure on us, but it wasn't necessarily around like body image. Did that yeah. kind of affect the way you felt about your or towards your body? Did you have any body image issues growing up? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But just saying that, like, I completely understand you leaving after six weeks. Like, I, I think I cried every day for the first two months. But I was just so lucky that um, I, I got roomed with a girl called Marlo who became, like, literally, like, my sister, best friend. And she came out to Australia a couple of years ago to visit. Uh, but if I didn't have her, I, I really would have been so lost. Um, and I was, I feel like I was almost lucky that it was kind of a low pressure program that I started with because I, I, it was easy for me to feel like confident and successful because I, it kind of came a bit more easily. If I'd gone to Washington straight away, I think I would have been on a plane home um, within a couple of months. So yeah, I completely understand it being challenging and coming from New Zealand too. I think that would have been, yeah, even more of a challenge from like a smaller place to go to. Um, but yeah, going back to that, yeah, my, so my sister actually had a pretty bad eating disorder when I was growing up. So I was exposed to that from a pretty young age. Um, she was hospitalized and I think she's like six foot. She weighed less than, than, than me when I was like 14. So it, that was pretty challenging, but I was yeah, exposed to it from a young age. So I kind of knew like about it. And also she'd been kind of like the star athlete in our family. And I'd just been kind of the one who'd like just done it and like gone along <laughs> and had fun. And uh, unfortunately she just stopped sport altogether because of her eating disorder. So having seen that, like I was kind of like, I'm not going to let that happen. And I can, I can see what, like the bad side of sport can do to someone in that kind of mindset. So it, while I think it was like something that was challenging for me and I had my own issues and didn't really realise because it was so focused on like her being actually like having an disorder and I was just kind of like, oh, I'm fine. But it also made me, yeah, see what I didn't want to happen to myself. So that was good. But then going to Washington, like, yeah, it was it was pretty challenging because just the culture there was very much um, very competitive, and we all ate dinner together every night, and it felt like everyone was kind of eyeing off what you ate. And I started to feel quite uncomfortable in my own body just because I was also told to lose weight, and that would run faster if I lost weight, and I was running well for my size, and blah blah blah. Um, and I was never like, you know, I was never overweight. I was just a little bit maybe a little bit softer, or a little bit like, um, you know. <laughs> just like not sort of fit looking, but I was a 21 year old, you know, uni student <laughs> running. <laughs> Even those words, I'm like, no, yeah. you were soft. You were just, oh. you were you and you're performing yeah. so amazingly yeah. by being you. And it's just like yeah. those words that people put in your mouth is yeah. that can affect the way that you see yourself, which is so Definitely. But it was a very challenging time. And, I, and like, I wish I could go back and kind of tell myself like that my younger self, like all the things I know now. And I definitely kind of like dipped in and out of probably some like, what I would call now like um, disordered eating habits. Um, I didn't have a full-blown eating disorder, but yeah, definitely some things that, um, yeah, I would say were, were not healthy for me to be doing um, at the time. But also like I did a group undergraduate degree in psychology, an honours degree in psychology. So I feel like, um, yeah, I'm pretty aware of these things. And sometimes that can be like even more of an issue because you know, um, you know too much. <laughs> but yeah, so looking back on it, yeah, it was a challenging time that would have been really hard. And I think you were so strong to get through that. And obviously you did dip in, in and out of disordered eating, but I can imagine a lot of people would have suffered a lot, a lot worse. So it was lucky that. Yeah. You had- I think that realistically, like all female athletes probably have struggled with disordered eating habits, like mm-hmm. at some point or not in their career. Um, and maybe even, you know, all, all women at some stage, um, we're all t- told to, you know, lose weight, be smaller, diet, whatever it is. But yeah, as you said, like, a lot of people struggled a lot worse than I did. Unfortunately, I live with a, a girl who um, she was like um, put into a, a clinic and was actually like cutting herself and was like quite mentally unwell 
and she was still, you know, encouraged to keep running, even though um, the program and the coaches knew what was going on. So, yeah, it, it is challenging. And I see stories come out all the time of different, like, different programs having issues. And I think it's it's a bit of a broken system because, you know, the athletes are essentially, they're on scholarships, they're getting a, a good deal, but they're essentially just, you know, trying to um, hold on to their scholarship or, you know, do better or get elevated to a, you know, a higher scholarship or um, whatever it is. But the coaches are being paid like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. So it's a bit of an interesting one because you always want to have that superior person and, you know, people kind of in that position of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And and as an elite athlete now, how do you find the pressure that you're under and, and that pressure to perform at such a high level? And are there things that you do now you've learned over the years that help you manage that pressure and the, the stress around the big events? Yeah, definitely. I think um, just with experience, you kind of get more confident and more relaxed. I still get obviously nervous and stressed. Um, and even like this week going into it, uh, the marathon, you know, being such an unknown, of course, I was nervous and I started to get quite like, agitated the day before and just saying to Riley like I don't I don't know if I can do it like I felt terrible on my runs I did like my last session on Wednesday and I was like it just felt way harder than it should have <laughs> and so I was pretty nervous but I just I don't know with the marathon that's like you have to be pretty like relaxed to start with so I just told myself that like it was going to come together and like whatever it was you know there wasn't too much um too much pressure on me but then again there kind of was because a lot of people were kind of like waiting to see my debut and had like different expectations like oh, she's not going to be able to break 230 because, like, it's her first one. Like, she doesn't know what she's doing. Or, like, some people thought I'd do really well. So, yeah, there was probably a little bit of um, pressure myself, but I just kind of didn't really think about it. But I think it depends on what kind of mindset you're in. Like, I had a few races this year overseas where I was really struggling mentally because of my hamstring injury. I didn't really want to race, and I felt like, yeah, I was already in that negative mindset. But, yeah, you go in waves and you go in waves of how you feel and, um, I'm, I'm a lot more confident, I think, now racing than I used to be. I used to get so nervous when I was younger, like I feel sick <laughs> just even looking at the track or like hearing anyone talk about it. It's like, oh my God, like everything inside you were just like, Rrr. but now, yeah, I'm a lot more relaxed about it. Um, and I think also, yeah, it's, it's my job and I feel like I just have to show up and like get it done and try and enjoy it too. Yeah, it is an interesting one when um, you do feel that pressure and expectation from other people, but then on the other side of it, you love what you do and yeah. you're trying to find that right balancing and almost disconnect from that expectation that you feel other people are putting upon yourself and just being like, well, I'm just lucky to be here. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I imagine like the pressure you would feel by running those times, but your time was the fastest marathon debut in Australia. Is that right? Yeah, it was the fastest um, debut marathon by Australian. Yeah, so I was really happy with that. I knew going into it that um, Eloise had done that last year with a 2.29, like 42, I think. So it was, it was on my radar, that's for sure. Like, you know, my goal was sub 2.30. So I was kind of like, if I can go sub 2.30, then like I should be trying to get, you know, that fastest debut. But um, notoriously, people speak of Melbourne being like, you know, I know people hate saying this, but like long or like a little bit hilly towards the end. So I was like, oh, who knows? Like it's maybe it's not the course for me to do it to do it on, but I may as well give it a crack. So to, to better it by a minute and a half, like yeah, I was really really pleased with that. <laughs> yeah, and Melbourne was my first marathon too. It was, was not, it? Oh, cool. it was not a two twenty eight, but it was um, my first. <laughs> and I actually ran my PB there, and I didn't break it for another five years after that. Oh so wow, it is a good course. I think so, and I think that like um, it's challenging for guys, you know, because it's quite like you know, there's three guys in the top pack and then it was just like Riley on his own throughout the whole way. And there's like 
all the way back to like the next pack of men but for women like you're always going to have like this like elite sub, you know semi-elite men um along that kind of stream so we're kind of lucky in that respect that you'll always have probably someone to run with but yeah so I think it is probably like a better course for like females to get involved in um, I can understand like the male elites at the top like I look at Riley and it's like oh poor thing 40ks by yourself out there is pretty rough but um yeah it is a good course and it's just the last few hills I was so nervous about like I was really trying to be conservative early on because I was like oh I don't want to blow up on these hills and I don't see myself as very good very good at running hills anyway so I was really nervous to that but when we got there honestly like they weren't as bad as I thought and I was kind of in that mode to just like get it done um but I don't think they'd slowed me down all that much I think I ran five seconds slower for that k on like the shine um like a 335 so not too bad <laughs> 336 maybe <laughs> No, you're obviously you you probably think <laughs> hills, but you are probably better than 99% of people. Oh, I don't know. Often on a often on a run, like I'll just be a little little incline and rather be like, where'd you go? <laughs> like I'm just like, I don't know, it's not great. <laughs> I feel the same to be honest. Yeah. You mentioned before that you pride yourself on, you know, your consistent the consistency in racing. And I just wondered, like, do you play into your female physiology? Like we do at Femi, we coach all our athletes to their menstrual cycle. Do you ever adapt your training to your menstrual cycle? And do you find that it affects you much in your running and your training? Oh, it definitely affects me. And um, so I didn't get like a regular period until like two years ago. So um, I I don't know. I just was a bit, I just was irregular. It was like every six months or something through my teens and early 20s. And and maybe that was because, you know, I was yo-yo dieting a little bit um and like you know going you know maybe losing weight and then putting weight on or I don't know how that affected me or it was just naturally like my physiology um but yeah then I went on um contraception and I had an IED so it kind of altered it but then a couple of years ago I was like I want to be off full contraception I want to like feel my cycle and like know that I'm getting it so I worked pretty hard to get it consistently and I'm really like happy with that and proud of that but yeah I've only had it for two years so it's I feel like I'm just like going through like puberty in the sense that I'm like learning how to work with my body now as like a 20 something year old. So it's kind of odd, but um, I have, and also I was injured for so long that I didn't, I wasn't racing for like ages. So I never really had this like issue with like period races um, until recently. And last year I remember um, going overseas and I was due for my period. And it was like the, it was a, the week I had to qualify for Olympics. Like I had this race and that was the point of it. And I remember being so crampy and like my period was due and I was just like, I took a panadol like 20 minutes before the race, but I managed to run 15.04 and, and qualify for the Olympics. So, um, you know, I kind of put it aside and then my period came a couple of days later um, and I was like very relieved, but also felt pretty shit. <laughs> but that was like, you know, an example of like, I know I was in my video phase, but I still managed to perform. I was like kind of like overrided that. Um, but there's been times when I feel like I, I haven't been able to. I ran um, run the bridge earlier this year and I was like really fit, like going really well in training. I had a good session the week before. And um, again, I was like, I hadn't got it, but I was due. And I honestly, that morning, like, I felt like I couldn't get up, out of bed. I raced, I probably shouldn't have. And like, I ran like what I'd run in training for a threshold. <laughs> um, you know, like I just I felt terrible. And I, yeah, that was really like challenging for me because I was like, how can I like, what do I, what do, I do if I need to race? And like, you know, I'm in my bad phase. Um, I'm still like learning and I know we're all still learning and you guys are doing a great job of like educating people more about it. And I, I read everything on Instagram and, and like, I'm trying to like learn more about it. And I've got Dr. Stacey Sims's book. I still haven't finished it, but I've read parts of it. 
um, which has been really helpful. Um, but yeah, it's it's challenging because I also find that the four big races and I'm getting a bit stressed, my period I might skip my period, which happened over Com Games. So it's it's then I'm like, I don't really know what phase I'm in. So I don't really know how to like work with my body. Um, so it's a bit a bit complicated, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, and I, I admittedly don't know as much about it as I'd like to. But when I do know that, when I do know that I'm in my luteal phase, like before I get a period, then I will like definitely give myself a bit more leeway in training. I might just like, uh, yeah, run a bit slower or like just take a bit more recovery in reps or something like that. Just if I'm, if I know that I need that bit of extra um, rest and definitely like trying to get more carbs in that time and just more sleep and recovery and being a little kinder to myself, but I'm still working out the whole racing thing. Yeah. And it does take time and everybody is different, but when you do like yeah. where you're at and how you're going to feel and just tracking those symptoms month to month, it can help so much yeah. preparation and knowing like when you like need to pull back and when you can go harder. And I Definitely. think, yeah, it's interesting with the fact that you've had like a natural cycle over the last couple of years and you've, I would say performed at your best over the last couple of years. I find yeah. it interesting. And I think we will never tell people not to go on contraception because there's obviously specific times and places that it's needed. Yeah. It's cool to see someone with a natural cycle being able to perform at such an incredibly high level. And yeah, just like leaning into it and understanding your body can be so, so powerful. Definitely. And I like I've been told in the past, like, oh, you could just go on the pill and like you wouldn't have the worries. But I just I just feel better just not having anything in my body and just like knowing yeah knowing that my cycle is there and like having the indicators in my body that it's like wanting to tell me I think that's really powerful so I'm I'm willing to play the longer game with that and you know just not try and kind of like forget about it for now and just like be able to perform all the time um and, and it comes with other complications too so yeah I'm I'm happy doing me <laughs> yeah we're so lucky to have that as woman as like a sign of telling us when like we're overdoing it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, you're overdoing it, pull it back. We're very And lucky. I think that it would have something to do with like, you know, all the bone stress injuries I had um, previously when I wasn't getting my period, that surely played into it. Even though I had Dexter bone density scans and they seemed fine. Like I think that my injuries came from the fact that I was so stressed. I was like, I was having to take melatonin or like over the like Advil PM every single night because I was like, not able to sleep properly I was like just so stressed and like unhappy so I feel like that whole kind of cloud um played into like not having a cycle and like then being injured too so yeah I feel like I'm a lot healthier and happier now Mm, and that's something we talk about all the time with our athletes is just taking that like really holistic approach to training no matter what Mm. you're at just knowing that like training stress is only one stress that's being put upon your body there's so many other emotional stresses and you know family stresses other things we have to yeah um, because all of it can impact your performance at the end of the day and how you feel about yourself and towards yourself as well so definitely yeah it's cool that you are that you do that and now it's like showing in your results it's awesome yeah you also like alongside all of your incredible running and racing you run this amazing community of runners called runners one what is it about community that you love so much and what is it about runners one that you just love being part of yeah, I think that um, you girls would be aware too, like elite running can be so like elitist <laughs> um, at times and, you know, you feel like running's made to, to look like it's only for a certain like type of person or like certain group of people. Um, and that's something that I didn't really, um, I love running, but I didn't really like about like elite running. Felt like pretty closed off. And there are some people out there who love to run and I just felt like I was kind of missing out on that community um, by only focusing on like the elite side of things. So, um, yeah, 
Riley and I were just coaching a few kind of family and friends and it just kind of developed into something that grew from, you know, five people to 20 people to 50 people to 100 people by our first six months and um, we just went all in because it was so much fun and we were getting um, we were getting so much out of it, of it and feeling like we were able to give back to so many people as well. So the name Runners One I came up with because I wanted to kind of um, like symbolise a group that was for anyone and whether you were, you know, an Olympian like me um, or you were someone who was just trying to run their first park run and was walk running, like we could all run together. And the way we actually set our sessions up is that the fast people at the front will be um, looping up and picking up people at the back. So we're, we're always kind of um, together. And I think people love that about the group is that they really feel a part of something no matter what level they're at. Um, and we genuinely have, we have Jacob, um, who's Riley's brother. He's a teacher, so he trains in the morning for the group. You know, he's running three-minute K pace at the front and then we've got ladies at the back maybe running nine-minute pace who are just getting into running. So there seriously is a spot for everyone out there. Um, and we're we're really about that kind of in-person community um, aspect of our focus. We do also um, coach people remotely if they want to be a part of what we're doing. Um, but we, yeah, really pretty focused on like the group here and, and uh, making it a really fun and inclusive um, atmosphere for people to be around. And the really cool thing I think about Runners One is that I look at the results from the events um, over the last kind of year. And most of these people, like they weren't actually doing events or running beforehand. Like they're kind of like, they're all kind of like new into like running. Maybe they're running like once a week or they're like once ran or like, you know, they wanted to run, but they've been able to come into something now and be a part of something and actually like do events and feel like um, there's like a space for them. So yeah, that's what I love about Runners One the most. And it's really like one big family for me. Um, and like one of the things I miss most when I'm away, like four months away from, from home and away from the group was like really challenging because um, I'm just so happy when I'm around um, around the group. So I, I haven't met many many runners I don't like. You know, runners are pretty good people. So, um, yeah, it's incredible that people that I've met through the group have become like a family. I feel like I've known them my whole life and it's only been two years that we've been in existence. So it's pretty cool. It's awesome. I just think it's so important and, and so many people do love running and want to be a part of running and it needs to be more open for anyone who wants to be involved. And I think Liz and I, one of our biggest goals is to keep more young girls in sport. And one of the reasons young girls drop out of sport is that competitive, intense, really elite attitude mm -hmm. um, that sporting people face. So it's like, how do we how do we open it up to more people? And I think what you've done is really amazing. And I own thank you. Yeah. 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 And I love what you, I love what you guys are doing too. And I think that's so important. Like seeing girls drop out of sport is so sad because, you know, I was almost one of those girls. My sister was one of those girls. Um, a lot of people that I used to run against, um, I look at results now and, you know, barely any of them are still running at a high level or running at all. And yeah, it's amazing you say that too, because there's three girls in our group who are kind of like, three of our top girls, um, they all ran on the weekend. So if he was eight and a half, she ran 79, 22, and um, the other two, one of them ran 81 and one ran the 10K. And, you know, in especially in SA, like they're kind of like two or three, you know, they're always competitive against each other. But you look at them in training and they're so supportive of each other. They're like, there's no cattiness, there's no bitchiness, there's no like none of that. And I feel like it really speaks to kind of like the community um, the like that is run as one is like you can still be competitive against each other but not in like a nasty way or a way that feels like yeah it's like you versus me it's like us together all getting better 
Um, so like I love that and I love what Femi's doing too in that space. Oh, it's amazing when you see women and everybody, but women in particular, like celebrating each other. Like it's Exactly. So- and in a real and genuine way, because sometimes, you know, you do see it and you know kind of deep down it's maybe not as genuine as it, as it looks to be. But when you know it, when it is genuine and authentic, you can really feel it and you can really see it. Mm-hmm. It seems like, and I think Liz and I have talked about this before, like out of a lot of the elite runners uh, we know, you're so relatable and you're able to connect with so many people, social runners, community. But being an elite runner, you have to be quite selfish and and put so much time into yourself. How do you seem to give back to so many people as well as continue to uh, perform at such a high level? Yeah, I think that actually giving back to other people has helped me perform at a high level. I used to be, you know, so nervous before a race or, um, you know, really worried if I didn't perform how I should or how my coach thought I should or how, you know, so-and-so thought I should that, like, the world would end and it all come crashing down and this is the only one in a race they had to perform, you know. Like, it was so dramatic. <laughs> and now, like, Saturday night, Riley and I were both writing programs um, in our hotel room and, like, um, I was mentioning a few of my athletes and they were kind of like, um, hang on, like, good luck for tomorrow. Like, what, what are you doing messaging me? But, like... Honestly, like working with other runners and like helping them achieve their goals, it, it makes me more motivated and inspired. And it also gives me perspective in my own running. So like I realized that like, you know, if I run 32.30 or 31.30, like no one really cares. Like only I really care. And, you know, maybe a couple of people who are massive running stats and will understand. But most people will just see that and be like, wow, like she ran really well. That's great. So it kind of makes you take the pressure off being like, you like you have to perform, you know, to your top, whatever you think that is every single time. Like, yeah. So I feel like just that perspective around running um, has really helped me in my own kind of performances and just kind of being able to go into a race and know that like I'll have 350 people who love me and think I'm amazing no matter what I do um, is pretty, pretty nice. So, um, and we could all think in that way if we, if we did, but it's just having that there really forces me to, to realise that, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Um, and at the end of the day, I'm my own harshest critic. So as long as I can just be happy with myself, then, like, everyone else is going to be proud of me too. Um, so that that does really help. And just, yeah, knowing that, like, there are mums and dads and full-time workers and, you know, single parents and um, getting up and, and getting after their running goals, you know, really motivates and inspires me. And I... I think about them when, you know, things get hard um, and, you know, I, I, yeah, it just kind of always spurs me on. So I absolutely loving, love having that community and, like, at Com Games, I knew they were all here at the run house at 3.30 in the morning watching me on the TV. Um, like, so, you know, things like that, like how can you not smile and how can you not um, just be full of gratitude and love um, when, when those kind of things are happening in your life and you're so well supported. So I'm very lucky. Yeah, I feel like spending time with like community and social runners just it gives you such a perspective of absolutely running. And you're right, like if you ran a 31 minute 10k or a 34 minute 10k, they really wouldn't know the difference. Yeah, just think it's amazing anyway. So it's yeah, funny when you're like it it definitely allows you to take the pressure off yourself, right? Yeah, it for what it is for sure. Yeah. On top of, I guess, like all the running and um, all the community building and running the run house, you also have a psychology degree, which you briefly mentioned earlier. But what was it about psychology that drew you in? Like what, what kind of like encouraged you to go down that path of studying the mind? Yeah, so I think um, in school I, I was kind of like 
both my parents are lawyers, so I was thinking I might do law, and then I was kind of like, oh, it sounds kind of boring. Um, <laughs> and so I thought, oh, you know, what else? What else is out there? And um, I'd always been interested in, like, yeah, in like the mind and the power of the mind, and like how that affects, um, you know, what you do. And I was also in, really interested in nutrition, so I was kind of like thinking those three things could be something I would do if I went to America because um, actually I couldn't do law in America because it just it wouldn't cross over properly with the systems. So yeah. I actually just picked psychology because it was kind of like that or nutrition and the school I started at didn't have a nutrition um, stream to start with. So I kind of just started it and yeah, I loved it. Like in my spare time, I would just, I would read books like um, how bad do you want it? And like kind of more sports psychology um, stuff and, and yeah, stories of, you know, how people use their mind to overcome all sorts of um, difficulties in their life. I think I've always been drawn to it partly through running, like understanding how much like, um, yeah, your psyche kind of affects you and wanting to tap into that more and learn more about it. And then also just being around my sister who'd struggled with so many mental health um, issues, like my whole um, adolescence, that kind of spurred me on to um, kind of learn more about it. You know, she'd had, among being um, like anorexic and having bulimia, like she'd struggled with like substance and like yeah other issues too and I mentioned like you know unfortunately self-harming so just like being exposed to those things so young I think I wanted to understand like why someone might do those things or like what you know what could lead to those kind of challenges happening in someone's life so yeah I was very much like had a lot of like questions and like curiosities about like um yeah the mind and like what you know what what was going on up in there and everyone's brains so yeah I'm really glad that I did that degree I did my honours thesis on mindfulness. So I was really interested to learn like how uh, mindfulness could kind of, um, well, the study I did was more focused in an education setting just because of what was available. Um, but I would have loved to apply it to athletes too. But we just looked at a really short mindfulness exercise that was done um, in a classroom once a week and then like measured a bunch of variables um, to see how it kind of affected students. And we saw some really positive um, markers in that study so it kind of gave me some yeah, indication that even just like a really short mindfulness not every day just once a week could be beneficial in kind of like calming the mind and having more positive things going on so yeah something I'm really interested in and when I came back to Australia I had issues getting my degree recognized unfortunately just because I'd done an honours degree like the crossover was a little bit challenging um, I had to like do an appeal to get it sorted and it all kind of worked out in the end and I was um, really excited because I got into my dream degree, which was a double, like a master's and PhD in clinical psychology. And it's really hard to get into these programs. And I was over the moon and I had a place working with an amazing um, researcher actually in the space of eating disorders. So I was going to be working um, really closely um, in that area in like a study that would look at um, like peer mentoring um, with people who'd actually had an eating disorder and recovered or in recovery for two years working with someone who was currently struggling with an eating disorder um, and I was really excited about that but unfortunately um, once my career and running took off and I made the Olympics I had to take a couple of months off and go overseas to qualify and then go to the Olympics and when I got home it became quite evident that um, I wasn't going to be able to travel while doing this PhD and master's and we tried to drop it back to part-time and spread it across over eight years and um, unfortunately, yeah, it just really wasn't going to work out. I had to pick one or the other and I decided to pick running for now. And so I dropped out of the program, which was really challenging because I felt like I was letting go of a part of myself 
um, and like putting all my eggs into running. But luckily, like with Runners One, I felt like I wasn't going all in on myself. Like I was going all in on running, but it was like our running business and my own running. Um, so it wasn't so much pressure that like I had to perform. But I think that can be a big, big factor is when people like go all in on something like running and they're not performing, then they feel like their, their value is like that's their value. Whereas maybe for me, like I was able to have such a good season because I was also alongside that. I'd started my my, my PhD thesis and I was like spending his time on that too um, while also running well. So I was pretty balanced, but at the end of the day, like I had three things in the ballpark and like I could only really juggle two. So one had to go. And is that uh, program, can you get back into that in the future? Probably like I could reapply and start all over again, but I think, um, you know, life just takes different kind of courses. And like, I felt like, you know, going through school and going to private school, I felt like I had to do a degree to be able to work in, you know, the area that I wanted to, but I'm essentially doing what I've always wanted to do. I just, I'm a, I'm a running coach now, not a psychologist, <laughs> but you know, I've got all the skills in my brain and uh, you know, I can, I can upskill by reading more and, you know, doing short courses and that kind of thing. I just, obviously I'm, I'm not a psychologist. So I can't give the actual kind of advice that psychologists would give, but I can, you know, I can, be a running coach and I think you would understand too as a, as a running coach you end up um, kind of putting on a lot of different hats and a lot of it is not just writing a program um, and telling people how fast or slow to run it's just actually like working with the athlete working out who they are what makes them tick um, you know what their goals are um, those kind of things so I feel like I'm I'm able to tap into kind of those skills and also use a bit, bit of my brain in that sense but um, I may go back and study in the future but I don't think I do a PhD just because I realize that like yeah, we're very, very, very full-on committed and it's very niche, you know, for four years straight and I, I don't think I could, it's actually something that I want to do, but mm-hmm. it's good to figure that out, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's hard when you're doing something that you already love. It's kind of like, why take that additional step to probably lead back to the same place you're already in, right? Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, uni is great, you know, it can be part of the process, but I think you learn so much just in like real life. And um, most of like the, the skills I've learned in life have been like, because I've been thrown into the deep end of like the real world and not, you know, through a textbook or through a lecture. So um, I feel like, yeah, we just keep learning through everyday experiences and we'll, we'll be learners for life for sure. And do you find like what you've learned, I'm, I'm sure this is going to be a yes, but <laughs> what you've learned through your studies has really affected you as an athlete and your ability to perform and then also show up as a coach? Yeah, I think so. And um, maybe I don't realize it so much, but when I actually think about it, like um, when I was doing, especially my honors thesis with mindfulness, I really started to incorporate that more into my like daily routine. And, you know, I wasn't sitting there cross-legged doing like meditation every day, but I was like being more mindful in, in like just everyday activities and also like going into, you know, races and, and that kind of thing. I would definitely feel like I was more mindful and more kind of like had more perspective and awareness of how I was feeling and, and the emotions that I was kind of like letting play into my head or not so I think it definitely has helped me as an athlete um and yeah I'm very grateful for kind of having that that understanding of of, of how it all works to try and uh, get the most out of myself but I'm still constantly learning and still um facing challenges like even this week I started to really like doubt myself and my abilities and uh you know I even started to doubt my body and to start really turning kind of inward on myself and having bad um, body image issues again um, I kind of looked at some photos of myself from running a half marathon two weeks ago. And I was like, oh, I feel like I look kind of soft. Like I should, I'm running a marathon. I should be like, you know, I shouldn't look like that. 
again. And so, but I, like, I know that that's like bullshit. So, you know, you have to kind of like snap yourself out of it, but just like saying that because it just shows that like I'm not perfect at all. Like I still have doubts and insecurities. Um, and yeah, it's something that we have to constantly work with and kind of like pull ourselves out of those negative habits. Yeah, that's true. And like, I think those thoughts go through all our minds all the time. Like it's completely normal, but it's like having that self-awareness to pull yourself up on it and be like, yeah, that is bullshit. That's not true. Yeah. And yeah. Kind of just like let it go versus like hold on to it and make it your confidence even more I think when I see you like at races whether it's at the start line or the finish line you always do come across as very composed and very welcoming and not intimidating and I think I now kind of think that probably comes from your ability to be in the moment and play that Mm -hmm. mindfulness piece because I think a lot of athletes get so caught up in themselves they come across as almost like it's all about them and intimidating and not welcoming and yeah are of you but you always are just so friendly with a smile on your face so it's oh nice. thank you I feel like when I saw you after marathon I was like so delirious <laughs> <laughs> totally understandable you just run 42.2 days I got my like I got my like trophy from Ariana Titmus um back and like I just I, don't, I feel so embarrassed if I ever see her again because I was like I don't know what I said, but I was just like, just mumbling my words. And I was just like, thank you. Like, see you at the next one or something. And I was like, oh, God, what did I say? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> no, you're, you're always so pleasant to be around when you're in a race. Oh, like when I'm trying, you. you know, performing or lining up at a start line and I see you there, you're always very calm compared to other athletes. Oh, thank you. Yeah. We've got one more question before we get into our quick fire questions. Um, I would love for you to give us a little spiel on the run house it's obviously your baby, which is very exciting and something that like we inspire to see something like that and imagine something similar for Femi is very cool. And you're obviously are very busy. Like how do you find the time to do it all? It is challenging. And um, yeah, it's one of those things I feel like the busier you get, you just have to like try and like adapt and like keep up with things. And someone that would, you know, maybe look at my training schedule and, and just be like, that's a bit bizarre. Like sometimes I train at 6.30 in the morning Sometimes it's 10.30 in the morning. Sometimes it's 3.30 in the afternoon. Like it could be any time um, because I just honestly wait until it's like a convenient time to get out and do it. That can be challenging because like, you know, most people are like they train at a certain time every day and it's kind of like a bit of a routine and I am a routine orientated person, um, but I just had to be like much more flexible and adaptable um, with being so busy and having like new things um, to kind of manage. Um, yeah, with the run house, like, Really, I have to give a lot of credit to Riley. So, like, we were pretty start of the year. You know, we were growing. I think we had like, you know, close to 300 people at the start of the year. And like, our group sessions like 150 people on Tuesday and a Friday, and then on the weekend. And we were kind of like trying to book cafes after long runs, and like, we're like, yeah, I got 100 people coming. Like, is that chill? <laughs> um, and like, it was just pretty challenging. And Riley kind of made a comment like, "Oh, it'd be good to have our own place to to hang out." And I was like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, one day." And then before I knew it, like he's looking at real estate and he's like, you know, sketching out ideas. So um, it really was him. He, he Once he gets an idea, he's like pretty like onto it. Um, and when I left to go overseas in um, the start of April, we were just looking at kind of looking at properties to, to lease. And then when I, it all happened while I was away, like all the everything, like and they did a massive renovations and we're pretty lucky to have people in the group who kind of like helped out of different skill sets and really like helped us kind of bring this place together. But yeah, like the idea kind of like, you know, we've seen a lot of cycling places, cycling and coffee, um, but, you know, we know runners love love coffee and we often like finish a run at a coffee shop. So having a bit of like running retail 
um, but really just focusing on like providing good coffee and a place to kind of hang out um, for our running group, but also just the local community here was pretty important to us. We're only 600 metres away from like the top of Victoria Park where we run. So we're in kind of like the back streets of a lovely area called Norwood um, in South Australia. And um, like parking's pretty easy. Uh, we're between like two kind of more main roads where there are a lot more like options, but we're kind of in like between like more residential um, areas. So while the running group provides most of our kind of like, you know, busy periods, we also are getting a lot more local traffic just coming through because it's kind of just like the area that it is close to the parklands in Adelaide, which is just, yeah, a really lovely place to be. Um, and yeah, it's just been amazing. Like it was kind of more of a soft opening while I was away. They actually opened um, in July. So I was still overseas. And then Riley came over to um, spend two weeks with me and, and, and watch me at Com Games. So he kind of like opened it and then like left. So that was a bit chaotic. But um, once we're both back, we've just been like working hard to get things moving here. Um, we've got um, a handful of staff working here now. And yeah, we're opening, I think, every day now apart from Monday. So it's exciting. It's also challenging. Um, I've been making coffees behind the machine, serving, cleaning, um, you know, ordering stock, like taking on all sorts of different roles that um, I wouldn't wouldn't have expected myself to be doing. But it's been really fun. And I think that you find that when it's your own business, you're like so committed to it. So um, we also have our offices here, like behind the, the shop front. So we pretty much spend a lot of time here. And sometimes we get here at six in the morning and we leave it nine o'clock at night but yeah we just love it and um, there's always so much to do uh, but it's very rewarding and you know we've always got friends and and runners and family dropping by and saying hi and it's just a really amazing spot to kind of hang out and uh yeah have a community community space often you know it's kind of hard to chat at a session or at the end of a session everyone's kind of rushing off but now we have a place to kind of like come together and yeah it's really special it feels like kind of a home <laughs> So cool. It's awesome. I'd be stressed out making a hundred coffees. Whoever's oh done. no, yeah. I'm I'm slow. We've, we've got a really good barista called Bailey and he works um most of our like most of our kind of like busy days. But um yeah, just in the interim we kind of had like issues where like some days we had no staff. So like Riley or I or our business partner Bryn um had to kind of like um get behind the machine and <laughs> I was like shaking making coffees, but yeah, got it done. <laughs> so cool. We have to visit when we come by. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to have you guys. We've seen some of our female Adelaide girls. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. So we'll we'll go into our last two quick fire questions now. Uh, so question number one, what would you tell your younger self? So if you look back at your 15-year-old self, what would you say to her? Oh, my goodness, so many things. I think I would just say, like, um, you know, play the long-term game. Like, don't get caught up in short-term rewards or um, what you think is important, like, right now. Yes, it's important, but there's so many things in the future that are also important too. So just really playing that long-term mindset. Um, and I also just, you know, wish I could still a bit more instill a bit more confidence in myself at that age um, and just be like, you know, only you know yourself. So like, you know, you've got to stand up for yourself. And at the end of the day, parents love you and everyone around you look out, looks out for you, but um, it's your life and like you have to really make sure that you're like the captain of your ship because you c- people could like sway your different directions um, but it's really up to you to like kind of stand your ground and uh, know what's best for you yeah it's, I think it's a challenging time for your teens like getting pulled in all different directions but really being able to kind of like come back to yourself um, internally and, and know what your values are and know what's important to you is really important so um wish I could have just focused on that a little bit more but in saying that like I'm really I'm really like 
proud of the the woman that I've become and um, I don't think I would take back anything in my life that I've done even though there there were challenging times and you know um, things I've gone through that maybe weren't so enjoyable um, they've all shaped me into the person I am today but I just love to get, give myself a hug back then and say like you know it's all gonna be great like just just you wait until you know 10 years time and you're gonna have a pretty amazing life yeah I'm sure your younger self would be so proud of who you are now thank you <laughs> The last quick fire question is, and this is something that may be evolving, but what is your purpose on Mother Earth? Oh, goodness me. So many things. I think to inspire other people to chase their dreams and to be their most authentic and and best self. Yeah, I think that that's kind of like what I'm doing kind of in a nutshell and what I hope to do. Um, It's just, yeah, inspire people to like to live, to live their best life and to chase their dreams, chase their goals, whatever they are, and just really try and be as kind to everyone around them as they can and, and kind to to themselves mm, well you're 100 percent doing that and oh thank you are so grateful to have had this time with you and there were so many goodies shared throughout the last hour so thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us and yeah congratulations on the nike melbourne marathon i think it's going to be so exciting to watch you continue to evolve into a marathoner and see what else you can do i mean if that's the only marathon you, you'll ever run, then you should be <laughs> anyway. But um, yeah, congratulations. Yeah, you're doing so well. Thank you so much. I really love the chat today. I feel like we could chat for hours, so I have to do another one sometime. <laughs> Absolutely. And thank you to everybody who has listened to us over this episode. We will be back in your ears next week for episode number 48. But in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can hit us up on Instagram at femi.co or head to our website, femi.co. And we will tag Izzy's Instagram into our show notes as well, so you can go ahead and follow her journey. But thank you. In the meantime, we'll chat to you all soon. We'll also share Izzy's uh, amazing nutrition page, which I also love. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, my gosh. I'm so bad at posting on there. I used to be so good. I used to post all the time. And now I'm just like sporadically, oh, make something cool. Here we go. <laughs> Still lots of, lots of good recipes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Izzy. Thank you. What? <laughs>